0: Enter the world of Maltopia. Maltopia explores our modern-day world in the aftermath of the Great Darkness of 1999, a year-long global amnesia that not all survived. The post-Darkness world is a horrific version of its former self, where madness spreads like plague, nightmares come alive, and the very landscape lay twisted by the effects of unknown forces. Some search for loved ones, some search for sanity, and still others revel in the nightmare the world has become. Maltopia, a new world of horror podcast, is a diverse collection of original horror and dark fiction, featuring interconnected standalone stories, limited series, and long-form serials spanning subgenres from dark fantasy and dark sci-fi to weird fiction and beyond, all set within the ever-expanding literary world of Maltopia. M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A, a new world of horror, on your favorite podcast platforms. This is 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast. Brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome to the Dark Ages.
1: Welcome to another episode of 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade. I'm Nathan. And I'm Bob. And welcome. Thank you. Thank you for joining me, Bob. How are you today?
2: Doing pretty good. How about you, considering?
1: Uh, Yeah, I'm doing the same. You know, (laughs) not much has changed, unfortunately. Um, Still just sitting at home.
2: we're, We're no longer quarantined, just as we were told. So that's good. Oh,
1: yeah. That's yeah, it's great. Um well, even if you aren't, you know, you'll you'll be out by what, the 12th?
2: I'm always free in my mind.
1: Yeah. So, needless to say, we're still we're just at home like you folks, um just living that life, you know, trying to make sense of it all day by day and uh trying to remain positive and bring you cool podcasts about vampire books.
2: So, And like Snoop Dogg said, smile, bitch. That's what we're uh <laughs> what <laughs> so we're going
1: with just keep that smile right yeah yeah i guess so well let's get it out of the way real quick um i want to thank two of our new patrons they're the only new patrons but there's two of them um first and foremost val ritz and secondly chris settlemore i think that's how that's pronounced it's m-o-i-r so maybe it's more more moyer settle but you know who you are so thank you for joining us on our patreon and backing us and giving us that support especially now. Cause it's ridiculous. So that's it. That's it. I got nothing else for that. So
2: <laughs> <laughs> I did have a question from a listener, Nate, and it is a, uh, I won't say it's a tough one, but it's one that I think was rather unique mm-hmm. and it is. What game do you recommend to be playing above others right now? Like, do you, in other words, do you recommend it being a fantasy game uh, to be more cheery? Do you recommend it being, you know, just horror as it used to be? Or is there a game you think would be better to do um, in, in the times considering?
1: Um, I don't think that our. This is just my personal opinion about the the nature of gaming. I don't think that our personal current situation is, in my opinion, in any way going to limit you and what you find enjoyment from. Um, I think that whatever game you have the opportunity to play to take your mind off of the. The stuff happening right now, play that. Um, me personally, I would still be playing Vampire. Uh, you know, I, I would still be playing Shadowrun. Um, I don't. I don't think that. Um, I, I don't. I just don't think that there's any restriction that you should place upon yourself. But if you don't find something fun, if you try to play something and and it's causing you stress or causing you, um, you know. Consternation, then don't play it. You know that's that's all I can say. Me, I to me, this is just like this sucks, but it is what it is. I I have no problem playing whatever.
2: I think managing stress is huge, and I'll just uh, Mm -hmm. co-sign on what you said. And that's the that's the main focus here. I think that's what you're trying to say. That's absolutely what I'm saying. If you're doing something that you love and it's fun and it's a blast, then have a good time. However, it is possible to do this hobby and something you enjoy. And it's providing the wrong kind of stress. Right. Meaning, in a perfect world, when things are running optimal, you were perfectly fine in tackling the stresses and frustrations of writing a story, being in a story where you kind of had to wait for your turn. And, you know, the idiosyncrasies that kind of come with gaming, uh, the typical tabletop mishaps, we'll call it. Right. And that's that's doable. However, um, I can't stress enough that whatever you do, make sure it's something that takes away stress. Right. And if it's fantasy play, great, do it. If it's uh, horror, awesome. Pretty much what Nate said. If it's to do nothing but stare at the wall, you're kidding yourself. <laughs> right. I think uh, I think now more than ever, it's important to get back in touch with your imagination. Yeah. Given the amount of time you're spending in the home, reading a book, I encourage you more than watching a TV. I would definitely avoid the news after you kind of get your updates. Anything to not depress yeah. you or stress you out would be my recommendation.
1: We, we've set uh, kind of a limit uh, internally in the... Nathan household, we've set a limit that basically just once a day, um, typically you're, you're probably best at the beginning of the day, but, uh, you know, whatever, but only one time a day, look at the news, see what's happening, look at the headlines, read the articles, be abridged and knowledgeable of what the situation is currently, but then tune out because you could find article upon article upon article to raise your stress level, to raise your, you know, fear, your depression, your anxiety, all of those things that are going to come with, with the, the current situation as it is, you, if there's an unlimited resource for that, so you can go back to it anytime you want, but don't bog yourself down. You know, this is a, this is a slow process and it's a big change for everybody, but you know, don't make it your primary focus. Try to live your life as safely as possible. That's, that's what my suggestion would be.
2: and let's make that a UML suggestion. I uh, I, I have nothing else to add to it. I think that's perfect mentality for it.
1: Now, the game I've been playing the most, S- stupid, uh, Skyrim. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I've, I, I've been playing WoW. Right. Like I, right. I, I fully admit it. I've detested WoW since we played it that run years ago. Yeah, like 10 but years ago. I haven't ago. liked it. But I needed something that I could listen to people and kind of talk. It's... Not, this is not our words. We're where it's darkest Share, but I just want to state this: how this impacted us directly is now more than ever. I'm online triaging questions about real life. Right, right. Why we we built you build friendships in community. Yeah, when you are who we are. Unlike others, we do not view ourselves as being celebrity above everyone. We're a part of the community, and we've always said that at UML. Yeah. That accordingly, we're connected. Which means if one of our uh, one of our patrons, especially or. Um, even one of our fans are having a hard time. Something you know, life has been throwing people under the fucking bus, right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, especially now in this time, being a friend's more important than ever, or just being a kind word. Yeah, and people need that. And I would encourage you to spread more of that around uh, versus doing anything else. Right. And just keep that mentality. And if you're a storyteller, podcaster, writer, creator, remember the fans who supported you, and they look up to you. And don't forget to put those kind words out there. I feel a lot of people just got quiet. Yeah. You know, they're like, oh, we're worried about us. Bye. Deuces. Kind of reflects poorly, but I'll let that be the statement of what it is. And we're still out here. We're still working. We're still trying to keep you guys engaged and entertained. And uh, we know you appreciate it. And we love you, too.
3: Yeah,
1: absolutely. 100%. Um, you know, and we're we're going to try to do, I think, uh, more things in the near future with, uh, you know, we, we had a, a viewing session with a bunch of folks. Um, About a week ago, and, you know, we're going to try to do more stuff, too, to be present for the community um, that we can do with you together. Not just like you listening to a podcast, but you interacting. So having said that, let's move along into the whole reason why you even came and wanted to listen to the podcast in the first place. The freaking book review.
2: (laughs) Now, Dark Ages Europe, I'll warn you, the intro was probably better. Right. In terms of we can't we can't do a dry read or a typical excerpt from chapter A through Z. Right. And why is that, Nate?
1: Well, so. All right. Um, Let me take this back into a little bit of the Wayback Machine. And for those of you that have been listening to us a long time, you may have remembered We interviewed, we've interviewed a couple of people, but, um, specifically we interviewed Justin Achille and we kind of talked about, you know, the evolution of gaming books, um, released by this company by white Wolf and just kind of like what that was and what these books came to look like. And he had kind of mentioned, like, could you imagine putting out a book that had no stats that had no gameplay mechanical material in it? And we were kind of like, oh yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Uh, Yeah, that's what this book is. (laughs) This book doesn't have gameplay mechanics and material in it, which for some people listening, maybe that's great. Maybe that's awesome. But you come to learn real quick when you open a book like this, you need those pieces, those game mechanic pieces to break up some of the, I don't know, monotony of the book.
2: I like that Nate was able to lie to you with a straight face. Um, the uh, <laughs> what, what I mean is, is that the a game book's a game book, but history's history, right? And this is something that we were told in the podcast as we were doing Dark Ages. It's like, man, history lesson. Just get to the right. get to the vampire stuff. Yeah, um, that's okay. This yeah. book is not for the person who made that comment. Right. Um, <laughs> no, I want to no. I want to state that because the only way to tackle this is that this book is set up. Well, I'll just give you an idea. The internet sites that they have down here to reference to let you know they weren't playing around with this book. Right, uh, Berkeley.edu. <laughs> britannica.com. MSN.com slash reference, just letting you know they beat up the internet looking up stuff. Right. And then there's Romania, or was it a roadtravel.com slash Romania history. Right. Okay. Um, in other words, they dug deep. Yeah. They were, yeah. they were they were chunking info to get it out here and get yeah. it put in a book to be as accurate as it can be uh, without losing interest. In other words, how do you combine entertainment specific to Dark Ages Vampire World mm-hmm. with history without one overclouding the other? The answer right. is you can't. You right. have to combine them.
1: Right. Right. Uh, you know, this book is broken down um, chapter by chapter. Uh, each dealing with a unique geographic location. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, there's a lot of stuff if you are interested in learning the history and learning um, the the different geographies and and especially the politics of those regions. There's a lot of information in here that will be very valuable for you. However, there are a few instances in this book where I feel like the vampire inclusion was secondary to the actual like written history of the time. Um, that was something that I, I struggled with. I had a big difficulty with in trying to get through this book because, you know, it's like, okay, this King, you know, begot that King. And and that King was entangled in this political, you know, and then also vampires. And to me, I was just like, man, but the, I didn't see that in every chapter. So no. You know, so, some of them are and, very good.
2: And a way to enjoy this, we'll go to the other side, for those extreme history buffs that want to dive in. It's fun to have them, because they always start out with the mortal history of the place and what's going on. And when you do that, and they, and they list, too, I like that. They mm-hmm. list the significant mortals in the area that affect the region. Then they list the vampires, specific, right. that affect the region. And going through the mortals and just going, okay, who was this dude, King Henry, then was it the fifth? Mm -hmm. We got more warm news. I know it's at the 4th. I don't know. Look that up too. And then type it in and you'll find tons of interesting stuff about them. Right. But in getting that familiarity as you read along, like if you read about Gloucester, Mm -hmm. for instance, you could read about how you know affairs are being affected over there. But at the same time, when they mentioned Duke of such and such or whatever goes on, pause for a second. Look up that Duke. Look up that era. See what goes on. Kind of follow along with their mindset. When you do that, this book becomes more digestible. Problem is, in two pages... You're spending a half hour, <laughs> right? Right. I'm just researching to find that meat to get that. I right. get it. It's sticking. It's sticking. And so this is like a love, a love book, mm-hmm. a, a giant poetry book of love written for the history buff. But also, it's insidious in its design. If you're an ST who knows nothing about the uh, the united areas of Avalon and all that stuff, I said united, but you know what I meant, right? Uh, the territory of Avalon, and you want to know what Mithras play was there and just how intense it was. Well, this book has it, and it has it specific to what he was doing and what he had going on, and the Ventrue, and the Ventrue uh, inner strife of a clan had right. going on, too, so you know that. They have the three different languages England was using. The English were using British, really, is what they're calling them here, around Londinium, because it wasn't London at that time, and how that all fits in, and they leave room. With you knowing all that and that a territory, you basically get to go, I don't have to just have my game be in London. Right. Right. I could pick anywhere in the whole territories. And one of them is like, you know, I want to be in the Fife of York. What if I want the characters to each pick a fiefdom and Mithras is putting them in charge of getting it back? Right. Whatever it was, because he, he woke up back to the Empire after marching Rome here. And that's and that's kind of how it is. And when you have that all set up, you're like, oh, OK. That's pretty cool. And if you remember our last podcast, we went over different titles, right? Right. Mithras is one of those monarchs, right? Right. And then the monarchs have them dukes and princes and all that fun yeah, stuff. Right.
1: And bishops, or not bishops. Um. Uh. Never mind. Ignore me.
2: Ashen I, priest. Ashen I, I just priest, completely brain farted. <laughs> right. But sure, it's okay. But I knew exactly where you were at yeah. with that. And uh, they have all that included. But once you combine that, you're like, literally, okay, I can make an entire game right, out of one chapter of this book and... Sp- targeting those areas and having a go with it. Right. And that's, I think I am I'm positive. That's the function of this I, book.
1: Right. And, and going through this book, I, I personally am of the same belief. I don't believe that this book is necessarily intended for you, the storyteller to sit down and digest all of this book in one sitting. Right. If you say, man, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in the Holy Roman empire. I wonder what that's about. This book gives you sort of the updated information and it also, I've noticed, collects a lot of data that's already been published in other books, and just says, "Here's kind of where we are a few years in advance." Yeah. Uh, it does a very good job of that. But I, I got to say, I think that this first chapter about London, about um, you know the the British Isles, the the barony of Avalon, however you want to refer to it as, I think this is really good. But it really does tell the story of Mithras and of his domination of the British Isles and what that means, what that's like in the dark ages. And for and, that, I think it's good.
2: And when we say domination, I always want to challenge it. Yeah. Cause it's because not, the, it's,
1: it is, but it isn't,
2: it is not a domination, right? It's what he had went to Torpor. The world grew without him. Right. And he wakes up grasping to reclaim. And he only has Londinium and some of the surrounding, uh, duchies. I think duchies. Territories right, somewhere he throws a duke at, and that's <laughs> and that's me going uh, <laughs> uh right so uh that's the that's the whole thing now why it's interesting is because when you consider the fact that probably Mithras was dealing with werewolves since the idea of him being alongside with the other Roman venture right, right? and but you know they didn't factor in how strong they are, so despite what goes on politically later on in the future, you could see these shades of difficulty, great difficulty, they talk about some poor venture. Uh, an actual, a duke made of Mithras, one of his men, is like thrown mm-hmm. and he's sitting over in Dublin trying to hold back the horde. Right. <laughs> right? That's a Bob game. I'm sitting there like, oh yeah, you're vampires. You don't get to play the werewolves. We're, we're going to see the barbarians at the gate because you're going to see it. Right. Right? It's on. Why? Because that dude has to be badass enough to make sure they can't take one city. Right. Right, he has to have that down. And as a storyteller, your mind gets going. Well, how would he do that? What's the war machine look like during the day? It's hell. At night, it's worse. Right. You know, it's like what what happens here? What goes on? And you can tell that story because they don't fill it in for you. They just let you know. Mithras expects him to hold the line and then to prosper. Right. <laughs> he is <laughs> right. the war right. god. Right. Mithras right. is the war god. He is not someone who is uh, he's, uh, a typical venture lord. I send you over here. I send you. No. Right. That's right. the clan is the clan has a problem with him because he isn't that guy. He's the dude who said, I am the cult of the bull god. I right. am the god of war. I say my name and people take a knee and monarchs are killed. Hence, I stay to, to the hidden imagination of man. You right. he would impact it, right? right? And that's awesome when you think about it. However, then you go, dude's just a vampire. What a slick man, right? What a, what a slick piece of mm-hmm. work that guy is. And then you see the other ones, the upstarts, Right. They talk about the other venture trying to get it going on. And Harderstadt is mentioned in here. That's right. Founder of the Camarilla, Harderstadt, is mentioned how he's hustling and bustling, trying to get it handled, uh, coming out of Germany, right. right? And now he's trying to get his piece of the pie and where he runs into the Tremere along the way. That's in this book in very generalized terms, much like we're talking about it. Yeah. Right? And that's that's the advantage. That's just one chunk of the world here. Right.
1: And, and also, you know, uh, moving on to, like, the next chapter... He is also engaged. Uh, uh, Mithras is also engaged in a struggle and a rivalry against France and against the Courts of Love, and you know that that is its whole whole own political can of worms. Um, and honestly, I got to admit upfront, I I was just kind of bored by this chapter. Like you know, no offense to anybody who wrote it. It's it's very detailed. But this is where it starts to get sort of, for me, ground down too deeply into minutia to really keep my attention.
2: Folks, he's an Asperatu fan. I expect it. Um, <laughs> this is the chapter for us as Torador fans. And really, I'm a vampire fan, but I really felt this is exactly what the clan is, right? And it nails that in the head. Uh, the artistic heyday is the influence of the church and the cathedrals they're making. right? And the course of love, that's like a thing. Right, you know what's going to outlive immortality, art. <laughs> right, they <laughs> they know sense. it, they know it, right, right. And and they get these cathedrals built and commissioned all over the place, right? The queens of the courts of love, Because we won't break it down. Why we're not breaking down the courts of love, and, and kind of, I know Nate, you agree with me on this, but just correct me if you want to get into it. But the reason why we weren't is because it's not as simple. Like when I told you just now, multiple queens. You're thinking what, right? Right, and there's one queen, and there's a king. Nay nah. right. Okay. It's it's a competition amongst the mortals, and that's what it goes in the title's a title's a title. And the Tordor are nothing, if not very good, at making minutia into something. Yeah. Right? Whatever they do is golden and grand because you can't do it. Right. Well and that's and, and that's and, how I see it.
1: And and to be fair, we have gotten into this, maybe not in like the super dis like direct detail, but we've already gone over it in other books. Um, you know, again, they reference a lot of additional material that's kind of already been stated or mentioned in other books um master of the state is one where they referenced the the grand court um but yeah i i definitely don't want to get into it because it's just like slow it down you know
2: <laughs> it's like four different types of courts and one mimics royalty in politics because mm-hmm. they discuss the mortal politics and their influence in it Another one discusses about the many allegiances they have here amongst one another. And then yet another one includes the, the ever-extending monarch-controlled territories and all their dukes and princes and what have you. They get to bring in representatives, but those representatives don't get a vote. Right, They're just there to bring up grievances. Right. And the, think about that. That's like four different... If you're the leader of this area... I I, I would I would hate you as a storyteller if you put me in charge <laughs> right. of it. You know, because it'd be constant, like, my lord, this evening, don't forget, Lord Bob of Baton, that you are now must uh, attend the royal court. Which court is it again? My lord, it's the one with the king who can't stop chewing as he speaks to you. <laughs> is that the king of England? Yes, yes it is, my lord. The one who... The very same... He's a descendant of yours, my lord. My, he's no descendant of mine, of course, my lord. Not yours, I meant... The other lord of who I am bound to. Right. Yes, of course. Right? Just sidestep. I could just see that right. being forever, right? right? And that's and that's really why we can't. Is it fun? Absolutely. Yeah, I would love it. It, it can to be in the
1: in the right circumstances, sure.
2: But it'd it have to be role-played. You right. can't make it a conversation piece because you're not going to get. We're talking the Torador here invented in court where your head tilted to the side with a polite kerchief up by the lip meant something entirely different. Right. Could have been a vote right? That's what it could have been. You could have just ordered someone's death. You could have thought something was funny and turned accordingly and go to make eye contact with the Prince to let him know there's humor near them. And the Prince looks and glances and gets a smirk. That smirk means you get invited to feed later on tonight with the Prince because you brought him entertainment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You you should probably warn any player before <laughs> thrusting them into that game.
2: Right. <laughs> Cause they're going to sit down. Cause what's the play? What's typical player? Burra going to come in, got my great sword. Yep. Shiny armor. I'm ready to go, crusading. Uh, seven <laughs> gen points, let me do it. Yeah, I need an army, I'm gonna go kill stuff. We're we're attending tea right now, sir. What my my lordship, I am an attendant of not even an immortal such as yourself, but you radiate power? And of course you're important. But I I need to remind you, did you bring an appropriate outfit for tea time? <laughs> what? Crush his head <laughs> Talk to me, whose guy is this? Well, Apparently now all the sheriffs need to come talk. What do you mean, sheriffs? Yeah, there's multiple because of people like you. and well, I haven't even seen a vampire. Right. We need to make a new character. Like, avoid that. <laughs> right. <laughs> or, just avoid that. This is, this is kind of the day when that's like, kill him. All right. You said this chapter is boring. Other than that, and that's high political, long yeah, and short yeah. of me making us poking fun at it. The Albuquerque Crusade. They do not rehash it. Do not skip it. They're not bringing it up to tell you again what it was about. You know what it's about. I think we talked about it no less than five times in the course of us doing podcasts yeah. from talking about paths, to actual history to now. And in here, it talks about that in a paragraph and they generalize what's going on. Cause you know what's going on. What they add here is really what this turns into. It starts with the church crusading against the Alba and the Cathars. What it turns into is a land grab. Mm-hmm. This area is so rich with land and farmland and trade and the most remarkable thing that the church used against them to solidify that should be, you know, hunted down and killed, they weren't affected by a plague or famine. Right now, why why is that? We know they were practicing vegetarians; they didn't deal much with the meat. With today's cleanly practices, we could deal with meat and all that, and not have to worry about that. But we're talking was twelve twenty seven or twelve thirty, I think it refers yeah, to. Yeah, basically. Um, let's let's just say you don't want to high five nobody back then and have a <laughs> have a sandwich, right? Let's just make that be what it is. So, all right. So, But Veggie's okay. We're, we're back here dealing with that, and folks have that going on. And despite that, though, you had Lord Mucky Muck, a uh, knight lord from somewhere else who says, there's no one to defend that land if they're killing him. Mm-hmm. Well, I will come in, and I will take this estate. Lo and behold, when you get there, there's another guy who had the same thought. And guess what you're doing? You're having a mini mock fight. One of those things we talked about where two, two knightly lords, two lords of land, We'll meet in the middle to battle over who's going to control a part of land, and the greater lord wins as they have at it, and a whole bunch can come from it. Right? right? We've we've already talked about how that might go, but that's going on amidst a backdrop of where the church is trying to say they dictate who's going to get what land because they came and got rid of the evil, and the king's saying no, that land now falls under me, and I will determine who's going to be there and what are these lords doing? Right? It's it's really it's not lawless; it's chaotic. And it talks about here how as the mortals are shuffling politically to fight that war and actually fight that war, you have one vampire here who, by the way, is a badass. It's Clermont, Queen Clermont, mm-hmm. of uh, Clan Torridor. You never hear about her, right? Yeah. And its I don't know why they didn't put focus on this chick. And I, and I hate saying it like she's just this chick, but she's one of these queens who lived through a very dark time when she was immortal, got embraced from it. She was embraced during war. And mm-hmm. comes out and she revitalizes the area and tricks everybody. I don't want to say trick, but she gets everybody to be in high society.
1: Well, you know, it, it's funny that you mentioned that. Because that's another criticism I have of this book. Is I think that they spend a lot of time exploring, um, you know, the history of characters as they relate to the land. And they, you know, they mention really cool characters all throughout this book. And then at the end of the chapter, they're just like, here's one or two have a day you know and and i i i, I kind of i don't like that <laughs> i wish they had given us more especially when they mentioned like this badass gangrel who holds the step and he doesn't and and then that's it they just they talk about him and they move on
2: so the black queen of toulouse the reason why it's not is because and i'll admit this you have an american audience that's really what this is white wolf sold in america immensely right that's that's where it was huge at and then not to say that Europe didn't have a following, but maybe not as many people. It seems to me. Called, word of the sales.
1: Yeah, it, I was going to say, it seems to me, uh, apropos of, of, you know, only my investigations afterwards, that the, the European audience and the South American, Central American audience seemed to really take off almost after it was really popular here. And right, like I don't know lady- if that's true, but it definitely seems like it.
2: I remember that uh, that we had always a huge following in South America with it, and I remember that as much. I remember Germany having a mention. It's just we didn't know. Right. And I wonder if that's how the company took it. Like, you weren't aware of just how big it was until finally, you know, internet extension, all that. Because you got to remember, the like 90s, really? Right. We were printing books and what, by letter? They used to have to write into White Wolf. Right. <laughs> okay, by snail mail. Right. All right? That's the company we're dealing with. So, yeah, it took time. But when it did, though... You got to wonder. So okay, so now we have Esclarmonde, the black the black queen of France and how oh, that's awesome and, and and all that and that's great and Bobby says it's cool, Nate you say it's awesome. But why there's so little is because they went with characters they thought would be most popular. that everybody went, "Aha, okay." Mm-hmm. And I think what goes on here is that the destiny of these characters they point out. They do this in the beginning of the book. And I enjoyed reading it. it. Says right off the bat, "Hey, if you're looking for a chapter on destiny, we removed it." We're not telling you what to do with these characters because right. these characters are good. Right. They're in the book. It's your game. If you want, and, and they highlight it that way, and I think all of you need that. I think everybody needs that. Yeah. You need to take the binky out your mouth and finish your own story. That, you need to that, tell your own tale.
1: I I gotta admit to you, um, you know that was something when I first read it. I was like, mm, I don't know, but I do. I do think it's it's actually a good move. I think it's a good move because. For years, still to this day, people are focused on canon, what happened in canon, what happened in canon. And it's like, yeah, there is a canon to this game, but it's you don't have to follow it. And in fact, right. you shouldn't follow it. These are basically just building blocks for you to tell your own story. And And I think it's one thing that they tried to emphasize in so many books that people just didn't take to heart, which was like, I don't need to follow what you're doing. There's no right or wrong way to do this. Of course you can, but it's tell your story. It's designed for you to tell your story with the characters already made. That's it.
2: I agree. And I think that's what how you need to see. That's how this book tells you. You finally have it in a book to instruct you how to use it. That's in here. Also tells you something very important. The most important thing about dark ages is also the biggest debated complaint in dark ages. And some people threw at this podcast when, until I laughed at him um, in fun. Uh, they were like, you guys don't know dates, and you don't get the dates right not nah, We sure don't. No. Nope. We also don't have a master's degree in history.
1: Yeah, don't care to either.
2: Okay, right? It's not going to happen. There's <laughs> right. a lovely timeline online, Encyclopedia Vampirica. Right. You could use those two. BJD does a wonderful thing in lining stuff up if you need it. Want to learn about Nod? Get the book of Nod. Want to learn more? Use your imagination, right? Mm-hmm. Rinse, repeat. There's tons of stuff you can learn to read, to do, whatever, but we're not trying to give you a historical lesson. This book says different. It says, hey, we're giving you a little history. But understand that we had to pick a time period right. for all this to plan because there's too much going on in history, date to date, for us to sit here and be cranking out books based on time up right. to modern. Right. So and what it says is, yeah. everything 1230 forward is considered present. Right. Anything back is referred to as the past. And they said you should treat it as such. If you want to relive the days when uh, Sparta was formed, knock yourself out. Right. Don't care about the date. You just know it was way older than what it is right now. And move on. That's
1: it. If you're telling a compelling story with these, with, with the information that's in this book, that's fine. But the one thing that you, you should remember always when you're running any game is that it doesn't, it's not the real world, right? Like it's based, it's focused around reality, but everything doesn't have to be historically accurate because you're, you're trying to tell a compelling story that your players will enjoy and that you'll enjoy running. And so focusing on dates, there's a reason why there's books. I don't need to know I can open the book up and go, oh, okay. It's round about this date. How does that affect my story?
2: There's, there's nothing else that needs to be said on that. And, and I think, uh, you know, we can go to the next chapter. Just know that my heart's with, uh, my favorite chapters, France. I do enjoy it because it does explain the courts of love. And also because I own apology. Um, there is a couple of viewers who kind of told me you guys will know the war of princes. And I was like, whatever, uh, we, we, according to you, uh, you know, fucking talking head. Uh, you, I don't know something. All right, fine. I don't know a lot of stuff. And if you listen to Matthew Dawkins' Malkavian test, no I, only, shit. I only 50% passed that one. Um, <laughs> and that's being generous because he's not here to actually give me the British percentage. So we'll just we'll leave that where it is. But, uh, yeah, we know a lot. But uh, the fact is is that it's about knowing where to apply said knowledge and where to reference it. And that's worth its weight in gold. And so the apology. Um, I officially apologize because on here I said that uh, the end-all be-all was uh, the Prince of France, right? Mm-hmm. And I just labeled one Prince of France, and I focused on, can you remember who I focused on?
1: I I don't remember, but I think it was like Francois Villon.
2: No. Correct. That's exactly who it was. Now, what happened here is I couldn't remember who he was. Right. Do you know why? When I only knew a Francois Villon. Uh-huh. That's all I knew. He's in a card game for jihad. He's in a couple books written as a hard ass. His stance in the story we wrote was that he completely disavows the entire court of love once he's in charge. As if he's the end all be all only focus. And that's his gambit. Right? Right? But he hasn't happened yet. Right. Right now he's probably pouring blood tea for one of these guys in this book if he's lucky. Right? Right. He's He's nowhere near the survivor of the revolution that's coming. And that's important to note. So for that, I officially apologize. Um, if only, because it wasn't that I gave out defining information of Fr- Francois Villon. I had said is when I get to it. Um, if it prove if I'm proving incorrect, I will apologize. Mm-hmm. And that's that's my assumption. And absolutely, I own an apology. It is way more in depth, way more Tordor, and way more cool. And I would challenge you all that if you are uh, tortor or just pretty people who sit around and just don't matter and blah blah blah. Do yourself a favor, get this book. But go ahead and read the uh, the French section. Run right. a game or two in one of these courts. Test out how tortor you actually know and are. And truly enjoy what that's about. Because it is the Tordor clan that gives the Venture its cool when it comes to court. All the Venture were were warlords. They were right. warlords who like the finer things in life. They could demand and enforce it. The Tordor are the heart of the people with trends and morality that bring it in to what Vampire is. Really, those two clans... Are the ones people think about when you think of the Camarilla, the Masquerade, and all that. Um, the rest are just sort of the disturbing cousins they have to deal with from time to time, and and I hate to put it so bland, but that's how I like to feel that these chapters read off, um, right. and that's it. Right. That's it. So I got to say, in France,
1: all right. So moving right along uh, to the Holy Roman Empire, um, the Holy Roman Empire. I I learned something new. I always thought it was just uh, Italy. It turns out it's not. <laughs> turns out it's not at all <laughs> so um yeah this was uh this was a very educational chapter for me um clearly i didn't uh, study like ancient geography and uh in history class or whatever but uh um yeah it it is the the papal state uh, essentially um and very very educational um like i said from a perspective of just like the mortals. I didn't know anything really at all about the Holy Roman Empire.
2: Well, there's not much to say about that. Holy Roman Empire is something to uh, read and study upon, especially if you're a fan of Rome and seeing what what it becomes. Yeah. What happens to it and how far it goes. Um, my favorite though, I gotta say who's your favorite character out of this chapter that they mentioned?
1: Um, I don't know, but I, I found it very interesting um reading about uh Hardestat and his court and basically how um, he keeps the court moving, um, so that he's harder to pin down. I thought that was very interesting.
2: There's a, there's a couple pieces of the pie that come in here. My favorite are is that they mention uh, folks that they have alliances with, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so one of the bigger ones is the Tremere. I, yeah. I'd argue the biggest, cause we're dealing with straight up Methuselahs. They right. tell you the generation of the people they're dealing with and, uh, it's impressive, right? But Vigo the Carpathian is a prince that's in here. He's on page seventy-six. You might they they note him as a notable canine. They call him by his favorite nickname, Lotharius. Um, but uh, however, if you look at the photo, it's Vigo. <laughs> right. It's Vigo the Carpathian. Right. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, child of Etreus, Yeah. <laughs>
2: right. I I adore it. The art is great, and I didn't bother to look what date was what for who, but it has to be the inspiration of. I mean, it's very much. Lotharius is trying hard to convince you he's dark and brooding, right? And he does a grand, good job in that photo. But the great person is is the Roman relic Julia Antasia, and it's the Venture Elder. What you don't know is, is that you might be wondering why the in the Venture Clan the heart and soul is fought so strongly with them, and it's part of your decor uh, to hold have a human center. It is this woman. Mm-hmm. She never lets the ideal of Rome fall. Rome brought civilization from the barbarians. Okay, they forced it. On everyone. Civility came at the tip of their spear. And that's and that's what they did. And it's very much at the heart of who she is. And she's in direct hot contest with Mithras, Jurgen, Hardestat, because they all want to control the whole pie. But they're too venture to be sloppy. In other words, they're not going to leave one big dramatic display over some piece of territory that right. sure you win and get one prince at. When they're looking at an empire they're trying to do. And they all agree on one thing. The Venture clan cannot look so bad as to be weakened in the eyes of the other clan. And thus to be attacked. Because they all believe unanimously that they are indeed the great-grandson of Enosh or Enoch or whatever you want to call him. And therefore, were chosen with the right to rule by Cain himself. Right. And this is where it comes from. We told you, reading the other Venture clan, it seems like this is lore. It seems like this is fable. Like this isn't real. But it's in the book of Nod. I'm going to put it you this way. It was in the book and nine. Yeah, yeah, whoever wrote it, blah blah blah. Okay, fine. It's in every Venture clan book. Yeah, but you know, it comes from the Venture, who could have da da, da da. Right. Okay. Mithras believes it. Alright. Harterstat believes it. Okay. Well, that's all the venture clan you know that I just mentioned, whether it's Dark Ages or Modern. By the way, Antasia believes it. Who? Read. Carmilla believed it. Who? Look up Sparta. Like we got we right. got it coming from everywhere. So if everyone, including the descendants and the clan and whatever, hmm. Is it true? Right. I'll tell you what, the beauty of it is, even if it isn't, everyone that she could possibly go to say that it's true or false, they're all saying it's true. Right. So it must be true.
1: Oh, also, 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 uh, you know, I just thought it was interesting. I forgot to mention this. Um, I don't know if it's the, the only time I've seen it in a, just a general lore book, but you know, they, they name the, the Ventru antediluvian in this book, like they it's Vedhartha. Like they just straight right. up name Vidhartha. So I just thought that was interesting. I forgot about it.
2: And why? And why? The only reason why it's ever contested is I know it goes writer to writer.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: all right I always find that the saddest thing ever when people go, "Well, in this book, the writer said it was this." Well, it's a different writer in this book, so it's that. Great. And I just stare at them. <laughs> like, do you do you think this entity, the idea, we can all agree on the idea that there's an entity that that created the Venture Clan? Is like, why? Call him Monkey Man. Right. <laughs> No one cares. Monkey (laughs) Man, Kong Conch, the talking shell of power. It doesn't matter. Name whatever you want. Vidartha, Mike, Dave, Steve from at the sub shop. It doesn't matter. The point is you both agree. Both writers agreed this power was there.
1: Sub shop Steve. Pretty powerful. (laughs) Only he
2: knows (laughs) the right amount of (laughs) go. It's a secret. The gabagool. (laughs) The gabagool. Too much and you move.
1: (laughs) Uh, All right, so moving right along from the homie, homie, Romy empire, um, because I can't talk. Words are the
2: homie, Romy empire,
1: (laughs) the holy Roman empire. (laughs) We move on to Iberia, and I really don't think we should focus on this too much because we just reviewed a whole book about Iberia.
2: We did, but I want you to pay attention to the somehow this didn't make it in the other book picture which one <laughs> the chapter opening uh-huh Hold on. if that is not one of the baddest oh yes yeah. this is gonna go bad right horribly wrong there's one dude who's who's bald uh of dark descent um looks somewhat afro-caribbean maybe um odds are uh more um, mm-hmm. more blood mixed he's out there with uh no shirt on looks like he's been cut once and it definitely most likely cut himself by the way the wound looks inflicted and he's smirking a dangerous smirk, with complete confidence, surrounded by all these hospitalers mm-hmm. who are just shouting at him, like "Come on, then!" Like they're ready to have a fight. And this dude's like, "I'm gonna kill every one of you." <laughs> yeah. Right in that photo, and right. I'm like, "Oh, and this is that's the opener to Iberia." Yeah. Well, right. they're not holding hands, having tea, and well, we could say we know what's going on in Iberia.
1: Right. Right. We we know all about that. If you if you want more information about what the fuck are you talking about, Iberia uh we did a podcast a few weeks ago uh on Iberia by night and um that is there's only a tiny bit of update from then to now um and uh yeah we don't really need to go deep into it however if you are like um man i don't want to buy a whole city book i just want some information about the world as it stands in 1230 this is a great basic summary of what's available in that book. Uh, and and it, and it has, it has a picture of Mankata and he just looks disgusting.
2: I was going to say, this is the exact reason why now I understand that Lucida had to kill
1: him. <laughs> right. Right. Because
2: right? despite he, all the abuse, because
1: he's a character from Dune.
2: Yeah. He's like, he's Baron Harkonnen. He's Baron Harkonnen. <laughs> Lucida, Lucida, he who controls the spice <laughs> controls <laughs> Iberia. You know, flying around. Right. <laughs> Some Someone's going to come over and handle these weird festering wounds that are caused by shadow worship. Right. I burn your pockmarks out with love, Baron. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. Somebody juice a mouse so Mankata can get a snack. Yeah. I'm uh, just... Sorry, I'm uh, I'm too far in the dune end. Uh, that's... Uh, yes, they have it in here, just so you can see what he is and what he's about. Um, Italy is mentioned in here, what I like to call the city of roving zombie dead. Um, (laughs) Well, we're going over here Zone to Zone just to let you know what's in here. But I think at this point, we totally get the encryptions. All of Europe, more or less, is mentioned in here um, in a generality, just to give you an idea and a taste. With some colorful characters. Um, Some of the best characters, I would say, that were never defined fully. Um, They they give you a full history. Don't, Don't let me take that away. It's a full history and understanding, but to get flavor down, to get that part that maybe you don't feel you have confidence in, this will help you get confidence. Because once you see how they take history, combine it with vampiric history, and use it to totally think up a fake person to put in this time and what they would have had and how it works, that's when it comes alive. That's when you can really feel a character. And I think this book does an excellent job at showing you how that's pieced together.
3: Right. Yeah.
1: Well, and also learning about what Italy is at this time and just being a collection of city-states, I didn't know that. So I think it's a very unique um, perspective on this type of gameplay because most of the rest of this book revolves around, you know, the king-vassal relationship, both politically and just like in a social perspective. And Italy has a kind of very different um, perspective on it, um, very different way of life. And I thought that was very interesting because I didn't personally uh, know about that. Although I feel like Keanu Reeves somehow snuck in here. I don't know if you noticed that <laughs> on page 119.
2: Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough.
1: It's uh, you know, the Prince of Venice and he looks like Keanu Reeves. I just thought that was interesting.
2: <laughs> yeah, he has, he has that stare. It's the forehead to widow's peak. I yeah. think is what we're going with. It's yeah. a, it's a very good pick. Although the uh, it's always weird to me how they pose. That that look of the the female there.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's always weird to me. Yeah. Well, Olivia de Ravenna.
1: That so that's another little criticism, just a little nitpick I have with the characters in this book. I don't feel like any of them really look like vampires. Um, I think they all like it's consistent with the other Dark Ages material, but they just don't come off as vampires to me, and. Yeah, obviously you can't give everybody fangs and, you know, black and white. It's hard to make pale, but I just feel like they just look like people to me. That's that's just my little criticism.
2: But I do think that's the point. Do remember how it is re-looked at when we did that first space book, right, mm-hmm. of what a vampire is. Right. Uh, frozen in time is something hammered home. And that aspect of them being beautiful after the embrace is really just symptomatic with the beast being able to attract prey right. and all that. Because when you read about them, that goes away. Yeah. And I think that's 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 how my mind translated. This is how they would look, except for Mankata. Can we point that out? <laughs> that we hope to God he's a vampire. That he needs something going for him.
1: Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't realize he was he was bald and like jowly. I don't know why, but
2: <laughs> Jolly. Um, Hungary in the Slavic East. Um, I am not gonna lie. This this is uh my second.
1: This, this is my. This favorite. Is my
2: favorite. This is this is my favorite out of this book. For vampire. Yeah. this For sure.
1: I definitely felt like this chapter was written, and I would hope so, because there's so much other information about this region. But I felt like this was written from the perspective of vampires first, and the mortals were like, that's not what you're playing. So, you know, they're a bit of a, a, an afterthought, but in a good way.
2: Yeah, for sure. And uh, their opening photo does a great job of showing you a vampire on horseback. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he, if you thought that. I thought that immediately, just my eye trying to get what you're seeing, and I'm like, that's a vampire.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. The, to, the, to me, that what I see here is I see a Zemise chasing down a Tremere, and he's going to chop that Tremere into little bitty bits. That's what I right. see.
2: Because Tremere didn't spend enough time reading the book. Mm-hmm. Instead, he's trying to run away with it. He should use it as a shield. <laughs> it's the size of his chest. He should throw just
1: it saying. at the Zemise and throw <laughs> He was moving he the mic and fly make, away. The,
2: make the horse choke on it. <laughs> Dismount the amuse and make him work for it. Um, it talks about the Obertus in here, the diaspora with that, because it makes a distinction between the Long Night, which is brilliant, the time period before now, which right. is the War of Princes, and what's going on now. And it definitely com- compacts it to where you're like, oh, okay. Right. Moving on.
1: Yeah, this gives a bunch of information about, like, all the things that we read about in Transylvania by night, all the things that we read about in, um, the Tremere, uh, the book of the Tremere, I think is what it was called. The Sioris book, uh, all, all of the things that have been written thus far about this region. This is like, here's a little bit more, here's a little bit more information. Um, there is a picture in here of a bunch of gargoyles, like descending on a castle. And, uh, I, I was like, oh, screw that. That sucks. Um, And it's talking about how the Tremere for the first time are trying to go on the offensive and less on the defensive. And instead of just trying to avoid being destroyed, they're trying to make inroads into Transylvania and take it to the Zemis. And the Zemis are just kind of like this lumbering giant that's starting to be like, wait a minute, did we just get attacked? What is happening?
2: (laughs) What is going on? We don't know. Moving on. That's kind of how I feel they they do that, right? Um, That's the the over and under effect of that chapter, really. Yeah. House of Tremere
1: was what I was thinking of, by the way.
2: Right. And and I think it's bold. I think it's great how they put it in abbreviated format because they make it to where they push all that actual canon to the side to Mm -hmm. let you build what you wanted there. And if you had those supplements, great. But if you don't, you're still fine building a compelling story out of what they give you. Right. And one of the biggest is pointing out what the Omen War is. Yeah. Right. That's something to know. I've always just referred to it as the Chimera versus Amis in the dark ages. And they were like, no, it's called the Omen war. Yeah.
1: I don't, I, you know, uh, and maybe we just kind of like glazed over it, but I don't remember it being named before this. And like I said, maybe it is. There's so much stuff we read that sometimes these things don't click or, you know, they just don't stick close to the surface. But yeah, I noticed that too. I was like, oh, it's called the Omen war. Yeah, okay. I didn't know that's what it was called, but Sweet.
2: After a while, I think all the information in the redos, the different versions mess with you. Even with us just researching, I know there's a lot of times you or I will mention some obscure knowledge from a previous book and i will just get that stare. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, we better explain where we, okay, right, here it is. Here's right. this update, folks, in case this is the first time you're listening to this, right? Conspiratorial. These guys talk like there's always secret knowledge. It's because there's always secret knowledge. Yeah. And we don't, we don't mean for there to be, but that's how this, this stuff is written up. So, yeah, And we're digging into the past.
1: And, and, you know, yeah. it, it's not always contradictory, but sometimes it's pretty freaking close to it. And you really <laughs> like, I, there's a lot of talented and smart people on the internet that comb through these books. We're two of them. But every once in a while, somebody's like, hey, what about, and you're like, "I okay, I didn't, I didn't notice that. And you're like, wait, let me go get both freaking books. Well, you know what? Let me get all three of them. Let me get four different books and see what the difference is between every version and just go yeah you're right that's weird i didn't notice that sorry
2: that's that's countless (laughs) right (laughs) that's countless that's always weird it's like uh did you notice the typo era and why you keep mispronouncing that word it's because in the three versions book 12 page 7 and we're always like hmm no we never would have noticed that had you not pointed out it's interesting um it's uh all right good eye good eye but since we're all going over the same material later i i want you to know i don't know why i said later but uh moving this on is what i meant to say. Um, Scandinavia yep. um, this is another very compelling and interesting chapter and I have the exact way you should roll this out um, this should be done from a standpoint of a people that weren't conquered okay I want, I want to put this out here yes there were people came in to settle there was some warring going on a lot of trade and whatnot. but to completely conquer a people is to take all of your civilization and culture and do what Rome did you move in and you absorb it you just completely make it yours. Right. 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 And then they're they're no longer who were they, who they're Roman now, and that's what it is. It's never happened to them. Right? They they keep who they are. And why that's important to me is because even reading this chapter as you read what's going on in Denmark and the the way uh, Christianity comes in and affects them and they're thinking of themselves beyond just where they're at and considering the world trade and blah blah blah. Eyes are opening up uh to what's going on in mortal half. If you look at the vampire artwork in this book and you start understanding Uh, that in 1230, the the religion they had is still very much strong and what they believe in. One of the cool effects that I've ever read out of here, or it might be in Wolves of the Sea as well, is where they talk about how uh, they're a gangrel who, when they walk out, the people know that's Thor. Right. Right? They don't understand the power of this. Uh, To help you understand this, um, just imagine everybody here is a Viking, okay? And because you're all Vikings, um, every morning when you wake up, the god Thor... Walks out the front door, and he, you know, rubs water over himself from the water pit, whatever. Sharpens up his axe. You know, that's what he has. That's only what he uses to chop wood, mm-hmm. by the way. And it looks like he's going to be chopping wood. And then he tears off. His claws descend, and he sprints to the woods. Awesome. Right? Right. Like, you know, we can't do that. He's a god. That's it. And that's how And that's how a lot of these little, I don't, I don't know what you call it, satellite villages are pocked and happen all over the place. That There are regions that civilization never touched because these gangrel wouldn't allow it. Right. They protect their descendants and they do feed off them but they don't kill them and they they raise them to accept them as part of the village. It's such a unique idea because you talk about Bruja, we have Carthage, Carthage, as I've heard it called. And that's great. Della estinto Carthagi or whatever the phrase was and <laughs> kill them and put them under the road. Remember that? That jerk from the Senate and I can't remember his name was it Cato? I think it was. Um, what a jerk, right? They end up destroying <laughs> Carthage. Carthagi. But because there isn't some crazed Viking Norse person out there going, "Hey, screw you!" Nobody really wants to come and kill them, right right They're able to have a complete culture that you, the storyteller, can make what that culture is, right where they' doesn't have to be Norse. You could be from an area and just be this is the animal God that protects us, yeah. and we worship him with worship him or her with ice in the morning, and we take the ice and we leave it right here in the hut and let it melt by the fire to let them know. By the wet spot that's no doubt going to be on our carpet, that we still honor the ways of the old, right? And then they don't spill our blood because that wet spot's there. Great. I don't know. I'm just pulling it out of thin <laughs> air. But the point is, is that you could do something very weird and cool, but then update that. Yeah. Well, you know, this as it goes on.
1: This, this chapter um, is definitely sort of the 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 pathway to Wolves of the Sea, um, because yeah. all the stuff that's mentioned in here is explored in greater detail in that book. And there's a ton of things in here, uh, that, that, sh- that should seem different enough for, you know, if you're, if you're a veteran storyteller, you're with veteran players, this region and a game set in this place, this area should be different enough so that all of the practices and concepts can be different and sort of re-explore the vampire, a uh, concept anew without completely diametrically playing something different, like you know kindred of the East or you know something of that nature, although those are there too um but this one, like I said, you know with uh the all high you know with the the sort of Odin figure of the gangrel and his group of children with the uh the, the Valkyrie, right. <laughs>
2: Right? Their war There's against a, the,
1: the the Fenrir, the, the get of Fenrir's as we know them in modern times.
2: Fortinbras, the poor venture who was sent here to subjugate and can't. <laughs> right. <laughs> Why? Because Jürgen said, hey, we're German, we're badasses, we're knights, we're good. And we came up here and learned what war was. Right. I, right. I just, I'll just leave it there. I'll I'll let history speak for yourself. We didn't know Right is what it comes down to. And that was that. And they very much carry that over. And in this book, Fortinbras is something to look at because that to me is the immediate story. Right. This guy's up here rallying sabers, trying to get people to his side, wooing with gold, money, and land, and that's something eventually eventually have in spades, and everybody else is now looking bigger than Norway and Sweden. Right. And uh, that's that's where all that contention comes from. But when you have someone that's sitting high up at the all-high, and he's he literally going to come out and go, who's this Fortinbras and why isn't he dead? What? I don't want to hear of him again. Okay, well, send the wolves, literally. Right. It, right, this guy's got to die. By the way, let's not forget, because if you're going to play in this world and you dare discount to get a Fenris in the Black Forest... Right. <laughs> okay? Yeah, I understand, the where the, <laughs> I understand where the Black Forest of Germany is. Okay, I get that. I'm with you on that. But do not forget that Fenris' stories come all from this area and region. And there's a reason for that. Yeah, And you look at your werewolf materials and get it. I think that uh, I would like to see uh, exactly how... All the stories of what it's unique to me that mm-hmm. there are several times you know Scandinavia is mentioned and it's vampire only or it's werewolf only. Mm-hmm. This is to me to say one of them won, <laughs> right? right? Someone didn't make it in right. the world of right. absolutes, and right. that's and that's what it tells me because they don't ever sit here and say and the Geta Fenris Cairn opened its doors to Norse only Viking gang and that's it never happened, right? And it's not gonna so that's something that's cool to me. I do enjoy that. And they let you, uh, that's the unspoken material is have that war in your own lab. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, It's a very good chapter. I enjoyed it immensely. Um, Moving right along, uh, we get to chapter eight, the Byzantine successor states. And um, maybe you're wondering what does, what is a Byzantine successor state? Well, this is information um, about um, sort of what happened after Constantinople fell or was sacked, um, during the crusade and sort of the, the dream or Michael's dream and, and the failure of that. Um, basically how all of that kind of played out, um, how lots of different canites sort of scattered to the four winds and, um, along with mortals, uh, along with the, the human beings and the populations of, of Constantinople and basically tried to, recuperate after the fall of that. It's pretty detailed. There's a lot of information in here. So if you are running a game that takes place in Constantinople, um this is incredibly valuable for you from a modern perspective.
2: Um what I did is uh I was staring at this chart and I was like, oh it's pretty cool. Um I was looking at Adrian Opal and I was I was curious why I didn't see it before. And it's this map's a better layout I think uh than we've seen in the previous books. Yeah. For kind because of, before it was Constantinople focused that was huge and you really could see everybody else. I like how you could see all the way down to Athens, uh, who was involved in the Byzantine Empire, of course. Crete, they they include everything. Mm-hmm. You know that the fallout affected everywhere it went, and I think that's great. It's a testament to good old Alexander, and uh, then, and of course uh, Michael, who also is known as the Blood Snack of uh, Marie, Mary the, Mary the Black, yeah. right? Maria, so cool. Um, Outremer, right? Our last <laughs> destination as we yep. as we cruise on through. Um, Out is what I like to call The, the land of the Ventru, And maybe not for long
1: the, maybe, I'm, the Bali. maybe I'm talking too much
2: <laughs> Well I don't ever mention the Bali and Out There's a reason for that um, Because you failed the clans okay? <laughs> right. Children of Akeem right. what are you doing They're in your backyard They're kicking rocks and you're just like Yeah they're over at Out though We let the Christians handle that Is that the right attitude Right I think that's the bad attitude they got going on. I don't know, maybe uh right. I don't know, maybe I'm not so sympathetic to them and what goes on. Now, it is interesting that Outreamer gets, you know, the asamite head nod with having their prince thrown in there and there you go, have fun. I don't know. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Um this place has seen so much contention in the in the long night that I think that once you get to the War of Princes, this is like no one's really that serious. Up about it. Well, and
1: it's also the shortest chapter. Um, so I think it, I, I think, I think the purpose of that is to sort of remove focus from it being such a an important part of, of what the game was. And um, you know, to kind of talk about Jerusalem a little bit and you know, what happens in the aftermath of, you know, the fountains of bright crimson story and all of those things. And uh, you know, there's a true Bruja in this chapter, maybe. And that's cool. Um,
2: and Great. you sold everybody. That's why Bob is like, whatever. So what?
1: <laughs> so what?
2: Okay. You caught me. All right, fine. You caught the tater.
1: You caught the tater. Huh? <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's, I think it's a good chapter. I actually enjoyed reading it. Um, I think that some of the information in here is best left to the reader to discover. And, uh-huh. uh, and what to you think
2: about the stones. No. Just answer me, Nate. What's the stones?
1: Uh, what, you know, what is the stones? I don't know, but they're a miracle. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's just more of like,
2: uh-huh. I said, everybody, he was, his brain went over it too. Nate read this book cover to cover, yeah. right? I read it too. And I sat there when I got to that picture of the stones, I couldn't even read it. <laughs> I couldn't even read it. The stone is drawn so glorious and on its own and magical. Right. And then afterward, a page over Barnabas, right? The, the freaking What? Okay, Dude, I'm no. looking at this, it's like, I swear to you, if I'm reading that this rock does ag to vampires, I'm going to vomit on the page. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't read it. Yeah, I didn't yeah. read it. One of it, us will it, have it, to read that now. No, no,
1: I, I read this two hours ago, three hours ago. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just more, it's more of kind of like the holy relic, you know, true cross kind of
2: thing. What? I don't know. Uh, you know, <laughs> So no, I do know, I do know <laughs> at this point, stop, just right. stop, right? How special can you possibly make one religion that it has all these superstones everywhere, but the religions that came before it for hundreds of years to the dynasty, no effect.
1: Well, you know, uh, I think honestly, if you want my opinion on that, it's probably just building to what the inevitable end of the game is come Gehenna. I think it's more, it's planting seeds for sort of like what they're indicating is the real truth Oh,
2: that you could use the magical stones. (laughs) If you stand in Mecca, you have to be in Mecca with the magical stones. Only then can you kill the dragon Atreyu rides as he comes across (laughs) bringing Gehenna. What a dick. Right? That's what you need. (laughs) What a dick. So when he comes back for the never-ending story, no one cares about use the stones, we won't. Right. Yeah, we could we could do that. I don't know. That's uh, no. Nah, I'm not a fan of that.
1: No. Like, fair I, enough.
2: There's more talent than that, right? Fair enough. Well, if you think where the origin comes from, the cross repels the vampire. It's where this all comes from, right? Right. Churches weaken or make them feel uncomfortable. If they made a distinction to say, ah, eh, don't limit it to the religion, right? Right. It's to the faith of the people that believe. Right. Okay, cool. Right. There are other religions, Jack. Of strong believers, and and that should be a focus. They should get that play. But there's only so many. Oh, this place is a piece of the true cross too. It's hidden. Running. Hey, um, doesn't Outreamer also have a nail of Christ? And that's why yeah. women always have a good birth.
1: But see that that's another question because the the piece of the cross um, that you know we talked about in a book not too long ago that was removed from the city lost its power when it was removed from that city and the people there didn't know the cross was there. So, and they didn't know it was removed. Right. And they didn't know it was removed. So why then did the, don't, don't dig too deep. That's all. That's all I'm saying.
2: Right, right, right. But what I'm also saying is that if you take the cross, like they did and in a shortage of trees and in a, in a economy, um, ecology conscious world that we're in, you understand that they had to take the true cross and make it usable. And so, graphite was used with the pieces of the true cross to fund schools throughout Europe. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why it's important because a lot of geniuses do come out of Europe as they do other parts of the world, but we focus this, we focus on the geniuses of Europe because they have plays like uh what are those smart schools that come out of Europe again? Or the ones I was no to like clue Harvard? What you're Harvard
3: t- I, I don't I'm Harvard, pretty
2: sure Harvard's Yale, in, in I, I think both and of those so, are in America. Say no they're not. They were uh I mean, they were they were British founded. They were British-founded with uh, number two pencils. I don't, I don't and, have a uh, clue
1: what you're talking about.
2: I'm talking about, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to write right now why the Magical True Cross pencils make geniuses. Oh. That we're all one people with Magical Two pencils, is what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to establish. I, I'm just saying, as ridiculous as that's me just throwing it up in the eye and just like swatting it out, that's just kind of how I feel about holy it. Holy rocks, man. though, Bob. Holy, Dude, bro. Holy rocks. Holy rocks. There,
1: you, see, you know what they reminded me of? They reminded me of the stones from um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Right. You know? Get like, oh, I can't touch them because they're, oh, they're holy, but I got to collect the st-, You know, something like that.
2: That's because they don't have Ram. That's true. If they had Ram, isn't that the name of the high priest? I think so. Kalima. Shakhti
1: Day. <laughs> takes your heart out. He's a Sedite, probably, right? Because he could do the heart like, thing. Is he? I don't, I don't know. know. It's a yeah. heart.
2: Heart rip, heart's blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stolen
1: religion. Basically what we're saying is it's all the same.
2: Look, the only reason Indiana Jones was able to take us because he had one of these Holy cross number two pencils. Okay. (laughs) Kept behind his ear, signed off on his plane ticket with it.
1: He was, he was a professor at a college, right? So there you go. I don't know what the hell we're even talking about anymore.
2: (laughs) A hoodie fell. I was just talking about Holy two cross pencils. That's it.
1: (laughs) Well, all righty then. That's awesome, Bob. (laughs) All right. Well, so that's Dark Ages Europe. Uh, Any final words? You know, give me a quick summary. What you think about this book?
2: Quick summary. Book's great. It's to be used by any storyteller or player. Storyteller looking to run a specific area, book's perfect for it. If it's War Princes, 1230, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. However, if you're a player, also read that area to get an idea of where you would fit in that area. Yeah. I know when we did a Dark Ages game recently, it was huge that we were, the whole staff was up in the area we were going to be in. It was equally important for the players to know the area because you can't just hodgepodge take a character and say, I'm knight so-and-so and I'm here. Yeah. And I have thanks, Yeah. Someone's going to tell you, it's okay if I do that. No, it's not. Okay? <laughs> no, it's not. Because it's like a half-assed character. We don't yeah. know what story to yeah. tell. You, you, Remember when you, that. When you make a
1: concept, you need to make a concept that's consistent with the time, place, region, politics... You know, and you have to know when, you know, the, the the prince or the baron has you smoked, like, what you did that would have caused that, right? If you're going to act the fool, make sure you're acting the fool on purpose, not on accident. You know, that's right. that's basically what we're saying.
2: There are templates. Yeah. Now, Use those. I, that's for quick character.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, I would say, um, personally, if you if you are the type of player that or or storyteller that is hungry for more stats more more game rules more information you're going to be super disappointed with this book however if you are looking to get a book that will fit into any dark ages game because it doesn't have rules and regulations and stats it's just telling you sort of the raw data of the time this is a great book so i personally believe even if you're not playing in twelve thirty this will give you a great indication of what was happening at the time. And so I think it's a valuable addition to uh, a collection personally. Um, Tell
2: you what, if you're a fan of fall of London, that's coming out soon. mm -hmm. Um, And and you're all about that. And you want to hear about all it's, it's going to be equally good uh, when you read what it was about, Mm -hmm. right? Where it came from, what led to it? What were some of the things? In other words, V five is not the introduction of the first time mortals catch on. There are vampires. Now they've done it several times. You just get to read about how the players in the game, i.e. the vampires of yore, kept them in the dark about it. Any effort and what they went through, so on and so forth. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, I, yeah, I, I again, I think it's a great book um, to get for the collection. And um, you can get it on print-on-demand, which is what I have. Bob has the cool, actual, original pressing of the Dark Ages. And I can tell because his pages are full bleed.
2: And... Makes me a
1: tiny bit jealous, but, uh, you know,
2: you shouldn't be jealous. It, it still smells like the game shop. I got in it.
1: <laughs> that was one stinky game shop.
2: <laughs> no, not really. It just smells like new and gamery. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Which cool. It's usually a conglomerate of different fast food places. They got ordered to the shop in one place. Yeah. And if you, yeah.
1: It's kind of, and, and also like a little bit library, a little bit fast food.
2: It's a lot of bit library. Yeah. It's uh, there's, there's, there's some dust there. I clean, but. That's the cool thing about books; they they carry on an age and an aroma of their own. <laughs>
1: yes, that is very true. All right, so next week we are back with another review, and next week is Road of the Beast. So we're getting into more of the specifics about the roads and about um, you know that how that changes the perspective of the the Knight. and uh, so this should be an interesting. I, I've not read this book before.
2: Before you say you guys did Paths, we know no, you don't. I'm going to pause you there. No, you don't. Paths are like a rough shot 12-step program <laughs> for people who are no longer on humanity, helping them understand what it is to be on the path. The roads are a way of life, Jack. It's about the ABCs of it, and we'll, we'll get into it. But it's uh, it's it, they, why they did books, because it's a way to communicate to you, the STM player, just how deep one has to think, and are trying to change your mind and perspective of how you looked at some of the minor paths that are in there, or the three-branch paths that there are or whatever else we're going to find in these books. I remember reading them a while ago, and it was a game changer for me, and just looking at how the difference between paths the roads are. Yeah. And roads were always the holy grail.
1: Yeah. So I got a quick question for you. Um, you, you had mentioned it before. Um, I know you have not received a physical copy of The Fall of London yet, um, but uh, do you have a PDF copy of it?
2: No, not yet. Okay,
1: so... Um, we got to get Bob a copy of the fall of London so that we can do a review of it. So, um, keep that in mind. It is available now. We'll work something out. Um, you know, there's yeah, going to get, it, it means you got
2: to get it. Yeah. Right. Right. got to get it. We got to get, um, we got to get
1: it for Bob. And then once that happens and Bob's ready to, uh, put a timeline to it, we'll do the review.
2: So what you guys just had right there is Nate grabbed me by the collar and threw me under the bus. And told me, Jack, I read it and I have it. Why don't you? No, 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 He's no, shaking no. his head no. No, no. But I'm interpreting what he said. I
1: actually haven't read it.
2: Okay, good. No, good. I, I thought you did. I, I read, I was like, I've read
1: like 12 pages of it. I cracked it open, read like 12 pages, and closed it.
2: You guys don't understand. I'm an electronic note taker. So Nate can't tell when I'm piecing off my notes when we do this. <laughs> right. But Nate is a physical note taker with the freaking, he's got it out. And I see all the pink highlights and the yellow head. I'm like it's, going, okay, it's... It's a note like at the last end. Don't forget Bob and bus. They it's, meet. It's, okay, it's, it's
1: so ridiculous because to give you a visual, I'm sitting in front of a Mac computer and there's a mixer over here and I got a second screen and it's all this electronic junk and I'm here with my paper and my paper book. Like doesn't make sense, but that's how I do. You know, that's how I am. That's that, th- This is the system I've devised, but it doesn't say bus anywhere. I was just curious um, whether or Nate's not. It's not the type
2: it. of guy who's going to run out and suddenly have to go to a funeral in Chicago. And while he's gone, call back and have someone like myself pay me $10,000 to burn down all the physical notes he has in books. <laughs> so he could turn around and shoot his own video on, on and tell the world how five alligators and all his movie equipment got burnt that's, down. At that's one true. Shot.
1: I, I, uh, I back up all my shit. So, you know, it's, it's good.
2: And and why you do it is because if you're a producer who spent your entire life filming on top of a film, and it's all physical film, you'd want to back this up somewhere. You would,
1: because if a magnet can fuck up your whole life, maybe you don't have your life in order. That's all I'm
2: saying. And can we talk about the ridiculousness that not only did you have all this stuff backed up fictitiously Mm -hmm. in this place, but it was connected to the alligator area (laughs) where all the water is, (laughs) right? Right? So if anything happened, leakage, why, what, you know what? That's a hell of a gamble. Right. Hey, your life's work right next to the alligator pit.
1: Hey, mm. you know what? It was the best place they could put the soundproofing, you know?
2: It's I understand. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. uh that's there.
1: Well, you know, you gotta feel bad for some people and other people you just go, well, eh, kinda saw that coming.
2: <laughs> and <laughs> folks, if you get that reference it's cause you are fans and we appreciate that. If not, um I won't promote him any more than it's been done. No, no. Uh but it it's it's an interesting thing. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah,
1: you all have Netflix. So um, coming next week, Road of the Beast, coming sometime in the future, uh, the fall of London, and also uh, they just released uh, officially, so you can print it on demand, so it's I guess it's a release of the Chicago Folios book. So that's mm-hmm. going to be somewhere, too. We just don't know what uh, when that's going to happen. As soon as we do, we'll let you know so you can look forward to that. Um, otherwise, it's just straight Dark Ages until the end so all right cool well thank you bob as always for being on the podcast uh it is your podcast as well so um yeah dark ages europe buy it enjoy it read it (laughs) thank you everyone continue to be safe continue to be happy continue to listen to podcasts and stay the fuck inside all right
2: plague free and happy all right thank you
1: we'll talk to you folks next week Thank you for listening to 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. If you like our podcast and you'd like to help support our show, consider backing us at patreon.com forward slash 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. We offer reward tiers of additional Patreon-only podcasts, t-shirts, and personalized gaming experiences. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and go to our website, utilitymuffinlabs.com for links to all of our social media, additional podcasts, and more. If you'd like to chat with us, submit a title for review, promote your gaming-related stuff or anything else you can think of, email me at Nathan at UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Utility Muffin Labs, consistently rated adequate.
3: Oh,